What do you got? Welcome to Polymuse with cousins, co-hosts, collaborators, Michael and Ben. What's up, everybody? How's it going? Welcome to Polymuse. You've been with us through the whole Linkin Park discography and a few yeah. side projects along yes. the way. Today, we're just hitting a wrap-up, a brief overview of the albums, what they've the nostalgia, what they've meant to us, kind of the highlights, and kind of our grades, our final mm-hmm. mix CD slash playlist, because that's the era we're in now. So a quick recap of the full project of work out there that you've been listening to. We've learned a lot along the way, along the way here on our Lincoln Park journey, and we've learned, we've taken you all with us on that journey. We went through all their remixes, all their live albums, their studio albums, those core great, those great studio albums where they're always trying something new, trying something interesting. We took you down every twist and turn in the way that there is. (laughs) Yeah, most of them. We did, of course, leave out a few, uh, you know, every year part of their Lincoln Park Club, they released some additional you know, either live tracks or B-side. They released that extra album for their fan club every year with some different material on it. We covered the the decade album, yeah, the ten year mark. So the we greatest hits of, those. of that, exactly. And we hit you know some of the bonus tracks on on every album and remixes. But there's so much material. You know, other than a few little pieces here and there, we covered a ton of material. But Lincoln Park, the third highest number three artist in the 2000s. Listen to selling. After Eminem and the mighty Britney Spears. Dang. So the best-selling band of the 2000s. The best-selling band, yes. Easily. Uh, yep, absolutely. Innovators constantly yeah. changing their sound, mm-hmm. even after the, the hybrid theory that's now 12 times platinum after dropping that album. Of course, uh, Chester wasn't originally part of the group, and he came in a little bit later on, was the sixth member to add in there. Just broke ground. Yeah. Not completely broke ground, but the way the two vocalists came in, Chester singing, screaming, the hip hop, the just all the different pieces kind of coming together, even adding electronic elements later on, the pop, the rock, the the metal, all kinds of pieces from the very get go. And then And it's so polished, it's so put together, it's a completely defined sound that they had worked out and practiced and just really, really made sure that it was going to reach as much audience as possible. They defined a sound. You hear cuts from that record all over the radio when you think of new metal, that whole era. That album is definitely a part of that sound, but it also transcends that it's better than a lot of stuff from that era. It's better than a lot of stuff from that genre. It's more fresh. It's better writing. It's better playing. They always had such a great grasp on making new sounds, even on the drums, even on the guitar, just making everything sound so interesting and creating a whole atmosphere. And even when they're being depressing, a lot all the stuff on there is negative. We're still just talking about album one. I guess we're going to kind of go through a... <laughs> just take you back through the chronology, maybe. Just some more wrap-up thoughts of... The stuff on Hybrid Theory is like negative emotions and... It, it very much brings to the surface, you know, all the issues that Chester specifically, but a lot of the band members were feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's something that was very relatable at the time and still relatable today to both a young audience and throughout, throughout the ages. And something that was very common in that genre, something you see very common in music, uh, not trusting yourself, not trusting others, of course, rage, depression, and a wide range of, of issues, and to tackle it with 
you know, a number of different styles, even the debut album, and really a style that never is fully felt out again, and another album in the discography with just the the sound and just the heavy kind of metal rock, and then adding the hip-hop elements with, with Mike, something that's never quite returned to fully, although you can argue Hunting Party really returned to that full sound. It was never quite, yeah, not quite. not quite the same, it was missing certain elements. So Hybrid Theory itself, one of the 100 albums on file for the RIAA Top 100 Albums of All Time. Okay, amazing. Yeah, so it in itself is just a, a wonderful piece. Every song is good, every song fits, every song adds to the theme of it, the sound of it, and yet every song is unique. Every song, I guess, is a single. I mean, we it's not. There's five or six of them, but it, they all are the same quality. They all are the same just level of care put into them. Just terrific pop songs, rock songs. Everything about that record is great. It'll always be great. Yeah, so it was originally a a nine-track demo project that was taken around before they were picked up to make it a, a full-length album. Released in October 24th, 2000. So this was, again, pre-9-11. This was pre, you know, everyone having cell phones, smartphones, MP3 players. You'd go to the store and, and buy this album. I did. I remember doing it. I heard it. We talked about it on the, uh, the original episode of this, but I heard it at someone's house. I went and bought it. I remember the whole sequence of events. I just thought Linkin Park was so cool man like the whole it was just the perfect sound for me as a fourth grader to <laughs> have something heavy that was it was heavy stuff i remember adults being you know kind of wary about lincoln park they were in that category you know you couldn't just play that around any adult where it would it would be you know heavy metal music was Definitely, uh, they didn't want us listening to it, man. And even hip-hop. Yeah, sure. Combined elements of both. Of course, the key singles were One Step Closer, In the End, Crawling, Paper Cut. Big songs that last still today. Giant songs. I gave an S to Paper Cut on our ranking. I gave an S to Place for My Head. Those are, I stand by that. Those are my two favorites on there. There's obviously bigger songs on there. So I gave like nine S's our entire season one here uh so i would you know bump up a couple tracks that i had as a pluses wasn't quite sure if if they'd quite make my you know top list my final grouping i wasn't sure how many i would have so i started kind of low to start out with but i would definitely put my december high voltage a couple bonus tracks uh, that you can now hear on on streaming services on that level uh, as well as in the end uh, certainly a song that everyone should know, regardless of age range, if you hear the song, it should be something that would trigger, oh, I've heard that somewhere. I would I would hope, I would think. I would For think. the most part. Uh, so that's a track that I would add as well, just because the sheer importance and just the, the staying power of that track. I originally had no S's, so those would be the three I'd add. Fair enough. So we've got a, a category for me, a category for Michael, and a third category for Michael in the future, or now <laughs> in the Michael's, present. Yeah, where Michael's he, additions. The additions to the list. Lincoln Park is so cool, man. I am not sick of it yet. I, I like all the seven core albums, I think, are all great. I think there's some, there is great music on them, or at least the concept. On Thousand Sons, it's more about the concept and the sounds. It's not really about the songs, but just the each twist and turn they took is dope. And it's so cool that there are six members in the band where 
they don't they all contribute you know different things at different times but you've always got like that mix to keep it fresh and to keep just more ideas going on yeah and they stuck together and they stuck together the whole time very cool so the kind of second album it's technically considered a remix album now so not really a full length not a full length second project not a full second project but a side project side project remix project I don't know, mixtapes, EPs, remix albums, it's all kind of confusing now. But as far as this is my next studio album, Reanimation is not considered the next studio album. But it was their second release. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of remixes, cuts. They sent out the basic tracks to a number of hip-hop artists, and they sent back some collaborative pieces. This was released July 30th of 2002. The Points of Authority remix was technically the only single off the track. But this was, especially for us, this also has a lot of nostalgia. This came in a soft case, a fold-out. We were also subject early to uh, some of Mike Shinoda's artwork, which you saw in Hybrid Theory a little bit. But kind of right off the bat, we saw more of his his drawing and artistic ability, especially on this album and moving forward with the giant robot on the front. And we'll see that more throughout his... This album's going forward as well. We loved this album as kids when it came out. I still love it. I think it's got a very unique sound, a unique atmosphere. It really puts you into a totally different sonic space than really any other album. There's just some quality to just the technology that they had at the time, the samples that they're using, the synths that they're using, the way that they are remixing it. The fact that every track is done by a different producer, but it all comes off sounding like super cohesive and they all are really just nailing the same vibe and the way that the songs lead into each other. It's just a great, great album. I think it's my favorite Linkin Park album, period. It'll I listen to it all the way through a lot still. Yeah, I think it's a full-length project. Besides still listening to, to Hybrid Theory, which I like to do a lot, this is also... Just a full project from beginning to end that you can listen to and just say, this is a great piece to, to as a hip-hop record yeah. and to still grab the pieces of Linkin Park that sound familiar, even though it's their early, early work, again, Hybrid Theory. And it's just all the way through, there aren't skips. There are a few brief interludes that are a couple seconds long as, as a transition, but as a full piece, it does kind of sound a little mixtape-y. It has, yeah. has the feel of a mixtape, certainly. But it's a great, great listen all the way through. One of their longer albums, technically, at right around an hour long, but one of the the better for better listens for a, a true Linkin Park fan, even though it very much has a lot of, of features and, and some other stuff going on. Then you got Meteora, the second album, very cool album. Very like kind of natural sounding album, I always thought. It do, it's not as much metallic, just heavy metal, distortion, computery. They kind of took all that, and they're still doing samples and everything, but it's got more of a a crispiness to it. What do you think of Meteora, the sound of it, as compared to the other two that we've had? You know, when I first picked up the album, I was like, man, this is still a completely different swing than Mm -hmm. than high energy, hybrid theory, crashing guitars. We had anvil sounds at times and and chainsaw sounds and all kinds of stuff going on. Then we moved to Reanimation, which was a hip-hop collaboration remix. And then we moved to, yeah, a much calmer, much tamer, 
and Meteora. And I was just like, man, this is just, is this the same band? It's just all kinds of different tones right off the bat. And nothing's consistent. So I'm not even sure, you know, once you get to the end of album three for the first time, you kind of think to yourself, what, what would the, what's the next album going to sound yeah. like? <laughs> and we had to wait a really long time, actually, for the next album after Meteora. But in between, what do we got after Meteora? So we got Live in Texas, which we thought was cool. Kind of their early days of a live album. We did an episode on that. We did Collision Course, the legendary remix album with Jay-Z, the seventh member of Linkin Park, (laughs) Jay-Z. Terrific. Yeah. Just the whole thing. We explained it, how it was like an MTV project, and then Jay-Z and Linkin Park were super into it, and it became more of a natural collaboration instead of just a cash-in for MTV, and how it was just a super organic just kept going on the spot like they didn't push it to try and do a full album or anything it was like exactly how much they wanted to do exactly how much fun they wanted to have you get six tracks six tracks and a show they did together we watched the dvd and it's just a really this is like gonna be a footnote like the collision course remix album you gotta mention it if you're talking about the history of remix albums the history of hip-hop the history of you know, metal rock in the 2000s. This is a big deal. I think it's kind of underrated. People sleep on Collision Course. It's like a key. It's a cornerstone to a lot of different stuff that was going on at the time. And I do think that Collision Course will be looked at in history continuing on. And the music is great. Yeah, so Collision Course only, what, six tracks? Six tracks. Uh, but it's 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 meaningful because really around this point, Obviously, collaborating with Jay-Z kind of opened it up to a new pocket, a new new demographic, just a new audience here. And really around this time, Linkin Park started to open up more to behind-the-scenes material they released, whether it's DVDs or material on online, just behind-the-scenes process. Mm-hmm. And they did this, you know, lots of live touring DVDs as well. So you always knew what was going on as far as creating albums and touring, and you, you had a full picture of Lincoln Park transparency with what was going on at all time, all times, and they were always, you know, keeping keeping fans involved. They had their fan club going on as well with different material. So it wasn't just you got an album every once in a while. You got an album. You always had yeah side releases, side remixes coming out. You had behind-the-scenes stuff. You had live performances, live tracks coming out, big collaborations. And that is, like, expected these days where you've got – just a constant flood of content from artists coming out as YouTube videos and Instagram, like clips and songs and beats and posts. And Linkin Park was way ahead of the curve where they were just constantly hitting you with different cuts and different different ways to get the music to the fans. So, they innovated in a lot of ways. Yeah, th- they did. And they continued to in a number of different ways. So Meteora was actually... So their singles were Somewhere I Belong, Faint numb from the inside and breaking the habit faint and numb were both used in the collaboration with jay-z and it did go seven times platinum and part of the goal in that project was to try and make a full album that had no skips and you can listen to it from beginning to end and and not skip any tracks so and you can't i mean it's short it's concise it's crispy it's crunchy it's just a bite size snack size just all hits right where you need it to hit in your ears and there's no reason to skip it's over so quick and it's all delicious 
I know I did have faint breaking the habit. Meteora, I got faint and nobody's listening. The crazy one with the flute sound. I did not do any from Collision Course. From Collision Course, I do have... Well, I didn't have any originally, again, but to promote to my mixtape is an A-plus song that I had, the Dirt Off Your Shoulders, Lying From You mix, a mix that still stands time. And the Full Collision Course, as you noted, is just a great little six-track project. Of course, the, the MTV collaboration. But again, I think samples from are still used today here and there in different sports programming. Mm-hmm. And they was used throughout live performances, Linkin Park did. Throughout their whole touring career, up through 2017. So that was, as were reanimation pieces as well. So if they like different, you know, little pieces they did along the way, they'd incorporate that going on and moving forward. That was a big thing. Jay-Z, Linkin Park, that was a big, big deal back in 2004. So then there was a long wait really not really but i kind of fell off of lincoln park i get i pick them back up later don't worry i never really listened to minutes to midnight growing up that that one it just took too long to get released from the other albums but going back in my 20s listening to it i really like minutes to midnight you got rick rubin collaborating with them the legendary rick rubin they're basically just trying to impress Rick with their songwriting on every different <laughs> song. We saw the behind-the-scenes DVD on that. where A lot of respect for Rick, yes. Of course. Half of it is power ballads, and half of it is new ways of being heavy that are not necessarily new metal, the style that they kind of narrowed in on and nailed and perfected and polished. They have rap in here, they have metal, but each it's different configurations. And this is definitely where they go full on into kind of the stadium rock idea where they want every song to just have such a powerful idea and message and chorus where you can just sing along with it and wrap up a whole thousands and thousands of people into the whole message and get them to sing along with you and a performative aspect a character aspect you know you got to be telling them a story you got to be leading them on a journey and giving just an idea that they can grab onto with a perfectly crafted melody it's about how you write the notes It's all about how you write the notes and the way that they start writing melodies and stuff on Minutes to Midnight is it's a step up from what they have been kind of doing in the past as far as their writing game. Yeah, it was and it was a big epic return because this came out in 2007. Meteora, their last full length project had come out in 2007. So it's quite a quite a layoff, as you'd mentioned there. And yeah, another big change in style, adding Rick Rubin to the process. Album art covers the seven, six guys in silhouette form, kind of standing on a shoreline, kind of we're back here. And the first single release was What I've Done, followed by Bleed It Out, Shadow of the Day, Given Up, and Leave Out All the Rest. And which ones did you pick for your thing? My thing. So my favorite was Leave Out All the Rest. That was the one track that I put on my mix album although shadow of the day was a track that we both liked as well i really liked giving up kind of a straight ahead rocker but kind of got a unique sound to it i really like shadow of the day i gave that one an ass i think it's a really good power ballad in pieces man i love that song 
it's kind of got a ska feel to it. It's kind of got like a weird muted laid back kind of staccato builds kind of creeps along feel to it. Several different sections to the song that all sound different. I just think it's so catchy. It all leads into itself. I think that one's just written so perfectly. It's uh, super catchy, but super unique as well. And that's my favorite kind of stuff. In Pieces is is in one of my very top Linkin Park songs, period. And it's kind of overlooked. Not a single, not one that you really hear on the radio ever, probably. And at the, the B side of Minutes to Midnight, but that is a great song. We pop up again in 2010, September 10th, 2010. So just two and a half years after Minutes to Midnight was released. Uh, the second time Rick Rubin worked on an album, A Thousand Sons came out. And now this is their serious concept rock opera, do something that's like a concept album type of thing. The nuclear, end of the world. End of the world. Kind of dark tones. And then we come together at the end with some uplifting tracks, but very much a different tone. To Not very much music on there. No, not at all. We overall were not uh, the biggest fans, but there just wasn't a ton of stuff that you'd queue up and play again. It pulled me back in as a teenager or as a early 20s or however old I was at this point. This album got me excited about Linkin Park again after not really caring about Minutes to Midnight. I picked it up on CD. It was kind of at that point where it felt a little silly to be spending money on a CD. Yes. It was already <laughs> at that point. And it was so soon to when, you know, that was the only choice and where and I still bought CDs. You know, I, I enjoyed having the the thing to hold on to and for a long time still, you know, it, internet for a long time still it wasn't super easy. To to find the stuff you wanted and but yeah i do remember buying it and i do remember thinking like this is gonna be one of the last times i ever do that like this is getting silly where i can just get it basically for free somehow somewhere online <laughs> and now it's all streaming so it's all it's you know you just pay your ten dollars a month and you have every record ever made interludes and stuff are not that great there's just so many it's like 20 tracks it's not it's like so many tracks and so many of them <laughs> yes. are interludes yeah they are pulls the project together if you're listening to it all the way through but it's just not a great not as exciting a listen that way if you're sitting down to listen to the full project it's an okay listen much like critics and, and fans kind of rated it it's not the most exciting piece of theirs certainly not our favorite we liked uh living things a lot better that came out pretty quickly after a thousand suns as well Oh, did we do the singles on a Thousand Sons? The singles for a Thousand Sons were The Catalyst, Waiting for the End, Burning in the Skies, and Iridescent. There we go. I really like Waiting for the End. I remember at the time thinking it was super unique to hear that kind of stuff on the radio. It didn't sound like anything else on the radio. It still doesn't. It just still is a really fresh, unique, kind of great song. It's the only great song on there, but it, I really like that song still. It's still fresh, still unique. Still, it's just its own sound, its own universe. Any more about A Thousand Suns? I don't have anything. You know, I didn't listen to A Thousand Suns when it first came out, and I wouldn't listen to it a whole lot now. We liked Living Things quite a bit more. Came out pretty quickly after A Thousand Suns. I remember at the time thinking it was very quickly after A Thousand Suns that it came out, but that was exciting that they had that many more new ideas ready to go and that they were ready to just release the next thing. Living Things is cool. It's a lot of kind of dubstep 
influenced music where they're trying to take their rock and rap and pop to the next level to compete with like electronic music and a lot of other really intense stuff that was going on at the time some of it is really really derivative of that and just copying it and just being like here's chester on a dubstep song some of it i like the stuff on it though that's really really experimental and weird where they kind of do their own thing where they're basically inventing new genres that never existed before and never really existed after yeah this is a little bit more certainly electronic and certainly away from the metal at this point yeah any kind of metal for lincoln park it's pretty much done Um, but it did drop june 26th of 2012 the third and final album that rick rubin helped collaborate with the the fellas on burn it down lost in the echo powerless and castle of glass were the highlights on this album all tracks that i really enjoyed I thought it was interesting how you kind of went with more of the singles for your mixtape. I went, what did I put for mine? My S's for this are Lies, Greed, and Misery, Castles of Glass. That's it. Those two. I really (laughs) like those two a lot. Burn It Down and Lost in the Echo were my two that would make my final list for this. I did like Powerless quite a bit. That'd be a song that would fringe beyond my list. I I should note. Although I didn't enjoy A Thousand Sons that much, there are a couple songs that weren't singles mm-hmm. that, that I would bump to my bump to my playlist as well, my mix CD. Blackout and The Messenger were two songs that grew on me as okay. an album that I didn't listen to as much that I ranked quite highly that actually bumped to my list. So out of the like six choices I had on that album that kind of made my list, those two I would actually add to my list. So I forgot to note that. There's a lot of good songs on Living Things. They... They had a lot of good ideas that kind of work in and of themselves just as a well-crafted idea. I think this is one of my favorites of some of their more recent albums that I didn't necessarily listen to when they first arrived, when they first came out. Minutes to Midnight is where I stopped listening to every album as it came out. So revisiting this was a big surprise, I guess I would say. I really enjoyed listening to this album. Road to Revolution, the second live album. We covered that on an episode, kind of a different style to their live performance where they're a lot more comfortable with it. Underground Greatest Hits album that was done. The Decade Underground compilation album. That was a cool album. We also covered the Sweet Hamster Like Jewels from America, the Joke album with all of the joke songs that they make during their downtime. Love it. All S's. We covered Dead by Sunrise, the Out of Ashes album by them, the uh, side project by Chester. Kind of a lot of uh, 90s music and alternative rock grunge type influences on that. A lot of songs we did not like and a lot of songs that were pretty okay. We covered several Fort Minor projects, the uh, Mike Shinoda side project. The most notable of which was... The Rising Tide. Which was a a big album when it was released. Mm -hmm. And we still hear Remember the Name on sports broadcasts and and all over the place. Always. For Hunting Party, we dumped out of Rick Rubin and we went back to just rock music. Yep. And it's very purposeful. Linkin Park very much wanted to get away from the sound that they'd been on their previous albums and very much kind of wanted to bring rock back. They didn't like the sounds that they were hearing in 2014, really even today, probably. They wanted to rock again. The Hunting Party was dropped June 13th, 2014. 
The singles were Guilty All the Same, Until It's Gone, Wastelands, Rebellion, and Final Masquerade. And it's cool. I'm glad they did it. It's it's very kind of reactionary to what was going on at the time where definitely at the time and still you don't hear a lot of really dangerous hard rock and metallic music on the radio at all. This, this stuff on here, we gave a lot of C's on this album, a lot of C's. And it's all kind of, some of it's kind of generic, some of it's cool, some of it rocks, but it's just kind of not really grabbing you. It's not really... It's not quite as innovative. It's not quite exactly. It's not like creating a whole new genre like they've done in the past. Uh, They have been doing better with the writing at this point. Overall, this was not the most fun album in their discography at all. Coming off the heels of Living Things, which is certainly a great listen and coming into one more light which is a, a a great tight 10 track album one more light is the opposite of the hunting party where instead of trying to rebel against the tide of pop music taking over the radio and try to put rock back they do the complete opposite and they kind of just are allow themselves to be influenced by new sounds the new wave of pop music after dubstep it's after the snappy trappy music has taken over all of the radio And it's just them basically allowing themselves to kind of play that style of music and see what that sounds like with their influence. So it's the exact opposite of Hunting Party, where instead of trying to rebel against the trends, they basically just go with the trends. But they are still, it's not like they're trying to go for the trends. It's like they are just, that's where they're at in their career. Now they're being influenced by what's happening around them. Influence, possibly doing some of the influencing as well. This was released May 19th, 2017, so almost exactly three years after The Hunting Party. This is the first time that they had written first and then came in and kind of put the tracks together. So a change in process here. Of course, the last Linkin Park album. We lost Chester, unfortunately, two months after the album's release. The singles were heavy, talking to myself, one more light of course this whole album has a new perspective with a loss of chester but just very emotional a lot of strong tracks that weigh very heavy and i would argue that you can feel that the instrumentation reflects strongly on the lyrics since those came first yeah we liked a lot of the stuff some of the stuff we didn't like i like some of the stuff at the end where it's kind of just just emotional raw songs the title track and sharp edges are really raw and really good and you it comes from that where you can tell that they wrote the lyrics and the ideas beforehand and then wrote the music and the production afterwards where because they're so used to doing it the other way where they Linkin Park has always been a track band. They start with like a drum machine, a loop, something. They're always building track, track, track and it's not necessarily about the song. It's about the track. So that's it makes a lot of sense on stuff like One More Light and Sharp Edges. You can definitely tell in there where that's about the song. It's not about the track, finally. So we did have... So I didn't... So the only track that we had off of the previous album, Hunting Party, uh, we both had Final Masquerade, the acoustic version, which was a bonus track. The Final Masquerade original is not our favorite variation of that song the acoustic version we both loved it would be in our final mix you also had mark the grave on your list 
as well. And for one more light, what do you have making your final mix? One more light and sharp edges. Those are the ones I gave an S to. And I have one more light on mine as well. It's a beautiful song. We talked about it a lot, but it's a really just terrific performance, terrific lyrics, the way it sounds, the way it comes across. It's a true showing of of his emotions and just kind of brought to life. His emotions, his feelings, his mind. And of course, the tour that was performed overseas before his passing and in between the album release, the videos that you can find online still just showed a very raw emotional live performance of this track as well that really connects with fans and the listener. It's just a very powerful, emotional song. One More Light Live. A lot of change and growth evolution over the years. The One More Light Live is barely rock music at all. Certainly different to see live later in their career than earlier, both because of the how their music evolved, and they're only playing a few tracks from their earlier projects, obviously but just how they go throughout the whole set and how that changes the tone, the kind of music they're performing, what instruments Mike is playing, whether he's involved in the vocals or not, and how that changed from project to project, how involved he was, how in some of the later projects, Mike isn't screaming as much. We don't have some of those strong vocals. Makes a difference in the live performances, obviously, in the set list. The other project we covered as well was Recharged, which was the remixes to Living Things. It was compared to Reanimation, kind of the remixes to Hybrid Theory, although its reanimation was more of a, a reimagining, if you will, to Hybrid Theory. They could be standalone tracks, whereas Recharged really was the EDM remixes of yeah. Living Things. Yep. It's... Not a must listen, I would argue. Kind of generic fans. EDM, yeah. It's ve- it's not really Linkin Park sounding. It doesn't have like a unique spin to it, really. Most of them. There's a couple cool ones on there. The Money Mark headphones remix is cool because it's just a bunch of weird samples. But most of the other ones are kind of boring. Recharged is not a must listen, even for hardcore fans, I would say. Which is a shame. It could have been the next reanimation. So that's Linkin Park in a nutshell. Nominated for close to 200 awards. I have it at 197 awards. They won 69, involved in a number of different causes, just filled up billboards. Had a Facebook game for a while, started pre, as we stated, MP3 players, pre when digital downloads were popular, and then grew into that. It's just kind of funny that that was 2000 to now, even in the past 20 years. So they grew both with the the growing of how music was distributed and how music was listened to and opened up a a whole number of genres and inspiration for a number of, of artists today. It's just amazing how they've grown. And they're involved in a number of video game soundtracks, movie soundtracks. That may be a common thing now. And it's a big thing to even have, you know, what sports video games come out. It's a big thing to see how the list was curated, and see what tracks made the list. That was not a big deal. Even 10 years ago when they were making, you know, FIFA or Transformers. The Transformers stuff, yeah. That probably put Linkin Park to new audiences. Every time a new Transformers movie came out, new kids were listening to Linkin Park. Yeah, so besides just the change in sound and always giving behind-the-scenes clips and all the live material, and the active fan club being involved in distributing for the games, movies, collaborations with Jay-Z, 
in the hip hop community and, and some of the big side projects like Fort Minor, just uh, a different group staying together, two vocalists. DJ, crazy art, very unique. I love Linkin Park, man. I always will. I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we explored all the different records that they had to offer and just picked apart every single song and saw what we liked, what we didn't like, what experiments they tried and what worked and what didn't work and found some new gems that we that we liked from along the way and new ones that we liked from revisiting it. I thought this was really fun. I love these albums, dude. I love this band. Not sick of them. I'm still going to go back and listen to all this stuff all the time and find new stuff to like about it and i think we did kind of pick out our favorites i do stand by my mixtape list for the most part those are really the ones i do go back to the most but what is your final list here the track and the album it's from i got paper cut and place for my head from hybrid theory i got executioner style high voltage and my december from reanimation i got faint and nobody's listening from Meteora. Got the little Get Me Gone interlude from The Rising Tide by Fort Minor. From Minutes to Midnight, I've got Given Up, Shadow of the Day, In Pieces. Thousand Suns, I got Waiting for the End. Living Things, I got Lies, Greed, Misery, and Castles of Glass. Hunting Party, I've got Mark the Graves, and I've got the Final Masquerade acoustic heavy B-side version. Very good song. The last two tracks, I got One More Light and Sharp Edges from One More Light. Well, I have In the End, My December and High Voltage from Hybrid Theory. I have Faint, Breaking the Habit, and Numb from Meteora. Leave Out All the Rest from Minutes to Midnight. I have The Dirt Off Your Shoulder, Lying From You, collaboration with jay-z i have waiting for the end from a thousand suns and i also have blackout and the messenger i'm adding to that group as well i have the final masquerade acoustic just like you do and i have burn it down and lost in the echo from living things and one more light from one more light imagine that so there we go i think so so we'll be, you know, dropping a few more here as we look at the projects going forward. But that's uh, that's Lincoln Park. Check out our playlists on Spotify. They will be the official Polymuse Lincoln Park mixtape podcast that we have created a track at a time by ranking, grading, putting them into tier lists for you, taking the full journey all the way through the entire discography. Any more closing thoughts? I love Lincoln Park forever. They're the greatest. I think they're very unique. And I think they speak to me. Just a big, big part of, of both of our lives coming up, obviously. Music that's still relatable today, whether it's some of the, the uplifting tracks or some of the anger and the anguish and just a wide, wide spectrum that's reflected in their music and in our playlists individually. True. So go check those out. I like the way both of our playlists turned out. That's true. How many songs did you have? 15. 15 versus 18. So I gave quite a few more, but... Not really. I mean, by the end, when you fixed yours, it was (laughs) the fixed version. The updated version. Well, I'm not so stingy. Lincoln Park will always be a a part of my life, I think. All right. So we'll drop a a couple more as we review a few more related Lincoln Park projects. And then we will uh, look forward to season two. So keep tuned for that.